to Cisco Champion Radio. This is Season 3, Episode 21, and we're going to be talking about Cisco Spark Service today, a topic near and dear to my collaborative heart. I'm Kim Austin, part of Cisco Collaboration Marketing, and joining us today as our subject matter expert is Lewis Pratt, and of our Cisco Champions, who will be helping host and pepper our expert with questions will be Alex Bissett and Ed Walsh and possibly a few others jumping into the conversation along the way. But first, Alex and Ed, can you just give us a quick overview of who you are? Sure. This is this is Ed. Um, I, I work for EMC's office as a CTO, and I've been the uh, Cisco champion for the past couple of years. And I think this year the champions have used the, the Spark collaboration tool quite extensively. So uh, looking forward to this update for sure. Great. How about you, Alex? I am uh, Alex Bissett, and I'm the Director of Sales Engineering <clears throat> focused on unified communications at a systems integration firm uh, called HP Communications. And we, too, are uh, large Spark users, have been using, I've been using Spark uh, both professionally for our business to, to help manage our operation, and I'm also uh, in a role in which I do a fair bit of consulting with customers for uh, to help them with Spark and, and to build applications around Spark. Great. All right, Lewis, can you tell us what the heck you do here at Cisco and give us an overview of what Cisco Spark service is? All right, my name is Lewis Pratt. I'm a technical marketing engineer uh, working with the Cisco Spark service. I've been working on it for probably about two or three years. Previous to that, I was spent a lot of time in Unified Communications Manager, our clients, Unified Clients, SIP endpoints, as well as um, voice over IP protocols way back in the day on our uh, routers, our module access routers uh, early or late in the 90s, early 2000 timeframe. So if I spend some time on the Cisco Spark service and what it is, it really boils down to a cloud-based business collaboration service. And when we say service, that provides more than just a messaging component. So we have what's called business messaging or enterprise messaging that allows you to have the ability to communicate with people both within your organization as well as externally. And that's a key piece is being able to reach out to people outside your organization simply by adding an email address as the identifier, you then can establish a messaging form of communication between those users within your organization as well as outside your organization. In addition to that, you can meet with those folks. You can make calls between those folks using cloud-registered endpoints. You simply could press a button within a particular room and, and, and start a meeting so that all the people within that particular room can, can join that call. And simplifying the user experience, when we looked at the Cisco Spark service, there's a couple ways we looked at it. One, it's a platform that provides a series of microservices that provide the messaging, the meeting, the calling capability, but it also provides interoperability with your existing communications manager infrastructure via hybrid services, as well as having the opportunity via our APIs to be able to provide integrations with third-party integrations via webhooks, as well as using uh, developer.ciscospark.com to be able to provide your own set of API integrations with our platform. Great. Thank you. So, uh, Lewis knows his stuff. That's why we invited him. 
so now it's time for you guys to find out what you don't know. Alex, you want to jump in there with some questions? Happy to. Lewis, thanks for joining the call. Having someone like you really help us to understand Spark is, is a big deal for the, for the Champions team. So thanks for joining the call. Um, I, I, Lewis, I want to ask, right, so if we could start right out with, you know, Spark, here we go, another application, another collaboration application from Cisco, of which I have many, uh, you know, on, on my phones and my iPads and my laptops. So many of us are Jabber users. Many of us are, are WebEx users, connected back to communications manager. We often use one button to push in our conference rooms. Seems like Spark is another application. What would you say to the folks who are trying to understand is Spark going to displace uh, an application in my stack today? Is there ever a chance that it's going to um, uh, uh, re replace or displace Jabber, perhaps, or, or WebEx? Or uh, maybe you could take us through that, the vision a little bit, and, and how Spark service is going to complement the Cisco infrastructure or ecosystem. Yeah, that's a great question. It's a common question that we, we've gotten from from day one on that is, you know, when we you take a step back and you talk about doing something innovative and, and, and looking at how you provide what people are looking for, one of the common things we heard from customers and partners was being able to provide a cloud-delivered service that also takes into mind the mobile capability or a lot of people are bringing mobile devices to work via, you know, bring your own device or just the fact that mobile's getting more rolled out. So with the, the Cisco Spark service, we took the step of creating an innovative uh, capability and platform that allows us to deliver cloud first, security first, and mobile first. So those were the three premise or the pillars around that to be able to provide that collaboration service uh, that provides the business level or the enterprise messaging capability such that you work in more of an agile environment, teams, small team collaborative type of apps, whereas some of our previous products were more one-to-one, -one, I am in presence, are you there, there, and not so much the team concept. So there is, when you look at approaching that from two different angles is, yeah, we have our existing infrastructure and we've done this, you know, as we've gone through the communications manager cycle and evolution, as well as our endpoints and evolving our endpoints. We now have a cloud service that we're bringing, we're adding more functionality to, more capability to, but we also provide the interoperability with what you already have. So to, to answer your question of, you know, does it replace things or, you know, what's, you know, the long-term vision of that, it's really the one of the nice things about our collaborative environment is we talk to a lot of partners and customers and get their feedback of what they want to see and what they're trying to do. So with the agile, you know, that, that capability to do things quickly instead of having nine, 12, 18 month cycles, is we rely a lot on the feedback of what people are looking for and where they're going to provide that functionality and capability. So right now, if we have customers that, you know, they're strictly looking for the premise-based environment, they want, you know, telephony, and they want, you know, a simple application that does you know, instant messaging, and then you've got a lot of users that are using Jabber today. We've we've got a lot of customers that have deployed Jabber, so we don't we're not telling you you've got to go rip and replace all your Jabber deployments. But you also have customers that are like I don't want to do anything on premise. I have I want to be cloud. I don't want to manage it. I want my partners to manage it for me. And this is where that that, that Spark service comes into play, where you can provide that enterprise messaging application. You can provide cloud-based telephony 
via our endpoint, so we can have cloud-registered endpoints, whether via that's a room system or a personal endpoint, you have some flexibility in how you do that. And then you have customers that are in between that they're not quite sure, do I, do I still want to, you know, have, I, I still want to have some premise stuff, but I, you know, I like the idea of where cloud is going or I need to go down that cloud route. Via our hybrid services, you can, you know, tie those two things together by protecting your return on investment of what you've already purchased, but also starting to use a lot of the, the new cloud, cloud technologies that we're delivering with the Spark service. It's a very common question, to be honest with you. We, we get that question all the time. Every trade show we do, that's the first question that comes up is, I've got WebEx, I've got Jabber, and now I've got Spark. And it really depends on the user's workflow. And it, we, we have customers that if Jabber's working fine for you, there's, we're not telling you you do anything with it. Continue to use what, if that's working for your needs. However, we also have teams that are saying, I need this, I'm working in an agile environment. I have a team of 10 developers. We're checking in code. I want to use GitHub to pop in a message to a room that tells me to go check and review code, here's where I can start to do some pretty cool things with this, the Spark service and application that I have the small team collaborative environment and, and provides that, and it's provided via a cloud delivered service. So it's, it really depends on the use case of what your customers are looking for and, and, and how they want to use the applications. And I'll, this is Eric, I'll tell you that it's that team dynamic where Spark really shines above everything else in that you know you create these you know pockets or you create these teams you know our spark room that at cisco live is a perfect example for that you get this real-time communications back back and forth you get this real-time sharing back and forth of products or whatever you happen to be doing and it stays within that team dynamic and it's always accessible it's always out in front which is something that maybe jabber and webex don't necessarily have those two are very much session-based or premise or um not uh, presence-based, whereas Spark is kind of that always-on, always-engaged type product. So it, it really depends on – you have to frame it right, and you have to ensure that it's the right environment. But if you can get it into that sweet spot, it really is nice. Exactly. If you don't mind me asking, right, it seems like persistence is a big deal with Spark. There are two things that, that strike me, and maybe you could comment on this, but – you know, something that was always lacking with the Cisco stack was persistence. You know, we, we, we have WebExes, I suppose we could, we could have recorded them and put them on a server somewhere and they get stored somewhere, maybe named with some metadata, who knows, right? But with Jabber and, and, and our IMs and, you know, there was never really a level of persistence, meaning we could never really retrieve the intelligence. We couldn't go back and search for that document we were looking for that we talked about last Tuesday. Is that a big deal with Spark? I mean, it seems to me that uh, that should be a real opportunity to create this persistence of unified communication. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely a, a key component of, of what the Spark service provides because it provides that enterprise messaging. So you not only can search for messages, but you can also find documents or, you know, different information that may have been populated into the room. And a key piece that we provide is that ability to, to search for that content across rooms in a secure manner. You know, one of the, like I said, one of the pillars we had was security had to be a key component of what we delivered with this cloud service. And we, we have the ability to search for that content, even though that content's, you know, encrypted end-to-end -end all the way through and it's, and it's stored, uh, we have the ability to find that information uh, to, in a secure fashion so you can quickly and easily find that stuff. By having persistent messaging, now I can go back and recall a conversation, and even better yet, the, the, the example I like to use is 
when you have a, a support issue that comes in, say you've integrated Spark via the APIs into your support system or your ticketing system, is you're talking to the customer and then all, you find out that you need to add additional people or maybe that case needs to be escalated, all you have to do is add a person to the room. They can go back and see the history of everything that's already been talked about and you already have all the information automatically there. So it gets people that not only are using it to go back and find stuff, but also when you add new people, they can also go back and see the history of it to find out what they need to do to get up to speed on it. Lewis, is that true? On <clears throat> so have we implemented the feature to go from a one-to-one -one up to a group message? So today, one-to-one -one rooms stay one-to-one -one rooms. We have played around with an early adopter, kind of an early field trial feature where if you want to bring in a third person, uh, to a room that it would create a new group room with that third person. What I was always referring to is that you create a room kind of as a support ticket room and you add the customer and whoever else needs to be involved in that room as a group room and then you can add people to that group room. Not, not, not so much a one-to-one -one escalation to a group room, it's more of a, a group room created based off that ticket that was created and then you just can add additional folks to that. Great. I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll ask another question, Lewis. But I'm reading some of the, the text from the participants here. One, one of the questions that somebody would like to hear of is, you know, what are some of the wow features of Spark? What are, what are some of the things about Spark that are really getting people to go, wow, this, this, this is transformative. This is way different. Yeah, so there's, 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 that's a great question. There's a couple different things that I, I kind of highlight to that. The, the first I alluded to a little bit, is on the case of you know enterprise messaging is being able to reach a partner or an external participant, say it's a supplier, just by simply putting in an, an address. You don't have to stand up a bunch of gear on, on, on the DMZ to be able to leave your organization to talk to somebody else in a secure manner. The second piece of that would be our APIs. Uh, the entire platform we have is built off of RESTful APIs and we have various bots that you can use to provide integrations for you have we have various uh, webhook integrations with I say IFTT or GitHub or, or various other built IO type of applications, and then the other the piece I would highlight is our cloud registered endpoints. The ability to register a endpoint for a end user with a cloud registered device, and you can do that in approximately about 10-15 seconds by using a QR code if it's a video enabled phone. For a personal device or a room system, you would put in a 16-digit activation code manually and that system's up and online within, like I said, 10, 15 seconds to be able to make calls, whereas before you'd have to do a lot of, you know, punching in different things, maybe do some different configurations. It's all uh, done automatically through a, a simple connection to the, the Internet as an over-the-top service. One of the... Uh things that's held us back, Lewis, from selling the, the video endpoints or Spark Room registrations has been the lack of Touch 10 support for, for calling without using um, the Spark app to create a room, start a call, and then pass it. Where is Cisco's stance on, on room systems truly being used as a room system? Yeah, so for... I'm assuming you're referring to the SX10 in that case because we don't support the, the SX10 with, or the Touch 10 with the SX series uh, devices. I will also point out that we do support the MX, 
uh, series of devices, and the touch panel is supported in all of the MX series. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm actually talking to you on an MX system right now that's cloud registered to Spark. Uh, and I, I have the, the ability via the, the touch panel to be able to control that room system in addition to being paired to that device uh, and controlling that through the application itself. We've gotten a lot of feedback on the, the SX series endpoints around the Touch 10, so we're, we're evaluating that feedback today. It's, it's not there, but we have uh, gotten feedback that that would be a, a, a key piece to provide that capability and support uh, in the, the SX environment as well. With the MXs uh, registered as a room, um, are they able to host up to 25 party calls or is there something that we would be violating a license agreement if it's not an actual Spark user that's hosting that on that room system? So, so from the room system capabilities, you can place a call. Uh, you just have to use the URI, so you could place a call to a, a CMR site and have the ability via that SIP URI dial to, to join that site, and, but would you be using the CMR as that video conferencing environment? If you're paired to that device, you're using, it's acting as you as a user, so as long as you're enabled for 25 participants, you would be one of the users in that meeting that goes with that. As far as the, the room system acting as a multi-party host, uh, are you, I, I think you're asking as being able to have multiple people uh, dial into that device or that device part of that. Uh, we do have um, the ability, so from a meet perspective, it's more the, the back end, the cloud providing that capability, the, the Spark service, the Spark meet service, to, to have 25 participants in a room or the first 25 participants in the room to join that particular meeting. So the other thing, Lewis, that seems to come up a lot as we talk about Spark are the ability to work with the API and the ability to create custom applications for Spark. Uh, maybe you could take just a moment and kind of bring us up to speed on, on a few of the more interesting things. I can tell you I signed up for the Internet of Things package from AT&T uh, at, at Cisco Live this year, and I understand I'll be able to use that to build an IoT app with Spark. So maybe you could take a moment and, and, and talk to us about uh, the potential for uh, custom application build. Yeah, that's the huge potential we see with the Cisco Spark service being the, the cloud-delivered service that it is, is we have, we have partners that, that are ISV, uh, partners that provide the ability to have integrated applications. We also provide via the developer.ciscospark website the ability for end users to, to utilize the APIs and provide uh, different ways or different ways to, for you as a user to, to utilize the service. It really, that's really the untapped potential of the platform itself is that we, we have a list of what's on our roadmap, but we know there's a lot of partners and customers that have other value add or business differentiators that they can use to create those applications and integrate with this service to provide that, that value added service. Uh, so the, via the APIs and those, those, those open APIs, those RESTful APIs, you have that ability to add that value add, not only from the messaging perspective, but it's integrating with existing apps or apps that you may or may not be created yet 
We also have just recently started uh, a beta program with our calling APIs to do audio and video calling as well with the Spark service. So I can foresee a huge potential there with our partners uh, to, to try different new ways to integrate into the, the Cisco Spark service as well. Hey, hey Lewis, uh, you know, I, I guess going back to some of the earlier questions about uh, adding another collaboration tool, what, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, users are, are struggling with is, you know, they have three or four different collaboration tools that they have access to, and now, you know, we're adding another with uh, Spark. Um, there were some announcements that were discussed at Cisco Live around uh, integrating more closely with Apple. Uh, mobile devices. Could, could you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe share some some of the details. I know they said the release would be coming up, uh, I think, in the fall time frame. So uh, I'm sure things are pretty far down the tracks with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we had at Cisco Live, and hopefully you had a chance to check it out, was we had a, a joint booth, uh, Cisco Apple booth, where we were showing the various integrations that were being provided with the the Apple partnership. From the collaboration side, going back to your collaboration application uh, discussion, one of the key pieces here is with iOS 10 is they have a call kit API that allows uh, voice over IP applications access to the native dialer capability. So that allows a user to use the phone app, uh, the native phone app that's on the iOS 10 device and be able to simply just dial from that native dialer using the in this case, the Spark application as the, the app that's being used to make that call. So you can call from your contact list, you can call from the, the dialer itself. We are also looking at potentially using Siri to, to make calls. Uh, so basically you're using the native iOS capabilities that come into that device. And then if you're already on a call, say another call comes in, it would use the call waiting capabilities. So the same functionality that you see in the native phone app on the iOS device now can support the Spark application as a VoIP, uh, VOIP device application via the, the native integration of that call kit API that, that Apple has provided. And the time frame for that is in the September, October time frame, the, the Q3 calendar year time frame. That's great. So, so the people that you'll be reaching out to don't necessarily have to be active in the Spark um, with your Spark client or in the room that you're in, you'll be able to call out to them uh, directly using uh, the Apple interface. Yeah, right? so if, if, there are, if there's a contact that's in your device and that, that, and they're using Spark, that enterprise contact, you, you have the option to select that contact and dial directly via the Spark application to them. That'll be great. That should simplify things. Hey, um, the other thing that was uh, talked about at Cisco Live, um, I think it's part of uh, Chuck's keynote, was some integration with uh, Watson as well. I know there's a couple questions in the in the chat around that. I don't know if you could give us some some of your thoughts around that and what what the use cases are that that uh, are being looked at. Yeah, so that's kind of, it really highlights that API piece, right? Because, you know, when you start looking at what we can do with, you know, not only just the application itself, but more at the platform that provides all those API interfaces, 
is now we have various partners that can utilize that to provide additional capability and functionality. Uh, and as far as IBM goes, uh, I have done a, a little bit of work to, working with this, our services team here in, in Cisco that has the IBM relationship. Uh, they, they're using Spark and they're adding additional um, functionalities to what they're trying to do with that and uh, in, in doing some early early testing around what they can do, really just kind of looking at the potential of what they can provide. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the output of that becomes uh, over time as we go through that. But, you know, if you start looking at, you know, all the, the partner village that was set up at Cisco Live and, and the various partners that are using Spark today, there's really a, a lot of different things that are going to come out of that. And it's, it's going to be neat to see because, as I said earlier, we, we can't provide everything for you, but by providing a platform with a series of open RESTful APIs that allows our partners to really add some value add and integrate a lot of those IoT applications into some really cool stuff. Besides, IBM has cool shirts, the I and the B and the M. Cisco can make IBM even cool. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> we can help their technology, so it's not just about the shirts. We need cooler shirts, though. <laughs> Call Meraki. Hey, uh, I guess another question. You talked about the other Cisco collaboration tools like uh, Jabber and, uh, you know, and if you're using a broad definition, WebEx and some of that. You know, I guess from a broader industry perspective, could you talk about some of the differentiators with, uh, I guess, Slack and probably uh, Skype is probably the other one that uh, we run into most often. Yeah, that's a good question. Is is there's a, a few things to look at when you start looking at the Spark service because typically as an IT, I'll, I'll look at it from an end user perspective, but also as an IT administrator. As an IT administrator, you, various pockets of users and corporations are bringing various tools to work, or you know, downloading their own applications. And it creates a very disparate use, sometimes referred to as shadow IT. And you as an IT administrator have no idea what people are using in your organization. With the Spark service, you also get an administrative component. As the IT administrator, you can manage the users that are, are using Spark. You can see who's using that within your organization based off of uh, the, the domain that's set up for your organization. So now you can make smarter decisions to see what the adoption is and how people are using the, the application and, and all the analytics and metrics that you can pull from the, the cloud service to see uh, how much calling is done, how many meetings are being done, uh, who's, who's using the applications. Do you have free users that have signed up that you don't know about? You can pull them into your organization. So you do have some management control as an IT administrator of the application itself. As an end user, it's you, you can use it as a free account. I know somebody on the call also said they're using it for both the business level as, as a personal level. Is it's it's more than just you know one tool uh, that provides a, a particular use case. It can provide a lot of different things, and it's more around that team-based concept that we talked about, where you get a group of people that you know whether you're trying to get you're working at a nonprofit and you're doing a, a fundraiser, whether you're working in a, you know, trying to put together a, a, a bill of material between folks that are in the room or whether you're working on an escalation case, you have that ability to bring those people together and provide that, that functionality and capability. Lewis, one of our participants has another good question. Uh, the question is, you know, what are the actual security components that are used in Spark? You know, maybe you could talk just for a moment about how they, they differ um, from the 
rest of the other collaboration apps that are out there regarding security. In particular, Slack comes to mind where, you know, we've read about some of the, some of the uh, vulnerabilities associated with those applications. If you could talk just a little bit about how Spark compares to that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it, it kind of goes back to a little bit to the previous question is, is not only do, does Spark provide that, you know, from Cisco a full collaborative application, when, when you look at differentiators between some of the other folks, they, they're addressing it just from the, the enterprise messaging capability, but they don't have the calling component, they don't have the meeting component, and when, when, if they do, they're using other vendors and they're providing a very fragmented approach to, to providing all those things together. We've taken the Spark service from day one as a collaborative platform. And when you look at all the components of that platform, not only does it do the enterprise messaging, it does the meeting, the calling, the integration with your existing communications manager infrastructure and the APIs all from that single platform from, from one vendor. The key component of what we did, not only is it from the platform and it's cloud delivered, but one of the pillars was end-to-end -end security, such that we have the ability from all your messaging is encrypted from the time that you create the message to the time it's stored to the time the other person reads that. There's, it's all metadata. We don't see any information uh, in there. We don't care to see it. We're not selling advertisements. We want it to be used as a collaborative application in a secure fashion. Some of our, our competitors, they, they, they can do search easily because they're actually looking at the content. They're seeing things, they've had breaches, they've, they've had some issues in the past, whereas, you know, when we look at our encrypted search capabilities, we're looking at, you know, server-side capabilities. It's a little bit harder for us to do because we want to make sure that that security stays forefront. It's a number one priority of what we deliver as a key component of the, the Cisco Spark service. So much so that we even put out an, a white paper, a security white paper that lists, it's about 15, 17 pages of, of exactly how we're doing our end-to-end -end security in an open um, format, but also making sure that all of our content, you know, is stay secure um, via that key. We don't own the keys. Our keys are owned by our customers, so we don't care what that content is, and we want to make sure that the experience that our end users and administrators has is a secure uh, experience as well as an easy user experience. What other burning questions do you guys have? I saw one question in there. Uh, it's another common question, so I, I do want to address it. Is you know one of the things that we see with Spark is you don't have presence. Everybody's used to presence because they they had an IM client that's got a red, yellow, or green button that says somebody's there or not. Uh, interestingly enough, I spent a long time in my world in that, that presence world uh, from day one of, of what we did here at Cisco in addition to some other stuff. But when you start looking at red, yellow, and green, you know, let's just take the example of an instant messaging client. It, it determines that you, it, you're away in a yellow state by something. You know, it could be a meeting. It could be that you've walked away from your computer. It could be a number of different things. But sometimes you're going to send that message anyways you're going to send the message hoping that somebody responds because they're in a yellow state. You may even send a message when they're in a red state as a do not disturb or, you know, somebody says they're presenting. When you look at, you know, that presence model, if somebody, let's just take the example of a way, let's say I walked away from my computer. Well, you sent a message, I may not see it for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, two hours, you know, a week. Maybe I just set my yellow state just because I want to look away. There's lots of different, you know, concepts around that. 
when you look at the Spark service, one of the things that we're looking to provide, it's in early uh, trials right now, is what's called user context. And a sense of what user context is, is if the cloud knows that you're using the system, whether it's via messaging application, some, you're using some form of the system with your account, so you have the ability of context knowing that you're in a room. So when you read a message, there's a read receipt that says that you've read that message. Or you see a state that says you were last active 10 minutes ago. So you have a, an idea, instead of just an away state, you know, okay, 10 minutes ago, maybe they just stepped away, grabbed a bite to eat. Versus, you know, I can see active or maybe I might even see a status that says out of office or something along those lines. So it's more contextual based of what the workflow, what you're trying to do right then and there versus a locking, trying to lock it into some present state that says, you know, your way or, you know, how do you map that? When you start looking at, you know, presence mappings and, you know, I got three or four different things that all get mapped into one state. Whereas with user context that we have with Spark, it gives you more up-to-date information of where that potential of that person is and potentially even bring in location to go with that. So, you know, an example of the APIs is I like to use is the IFTTT app is the if that, if this, then that. I commonly get asked, you know, where, where are you at? When are you coming home? What are you doing? I set up an, an application that says if this, and the if this part is when I leave the building, then that happens. The that part is I post a message into the room that says I've left the building. So it gives people context to not only use location, but actually use the APIs in that realm. So I, I do have the ability to set some type of context and give you better ideas of how that user is using the application. So it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a shift, it's just a different way of looking at how you can communicate with people in a, in a better format and, and more of a real-time discussion. How many of um, you on the call have played with the APIs on uh, developer.ciscospark.com? Like, if that then? So, Lewis, tell us how easy that is. It's as easy as going to that website and logging in and getting started. Uh, so you, when you look at you know how how you use those APIs, there's there's a couple different aspects of it. One is not only from the the Spark Services piece, is you can go in, you can you know send messages to rooms, you can see room identifiers, you can communicate with people that way. That's one method, methodology of that. The other is the webhook integration. So we use the built.io or the IFTTT or you know the GitHub integrations where you, you basically map your Cisco Spark account to that application. And then you can write different things into the rooms based off of what happens. And then there's also, when you look at the Tropo piece that we brought in, there's the use cases.tropo.com that provides the SMS type of integration of you know unified communications that we already have that you know kind of that team came in with that capability and functionality and then we've built on that with the, the Spark Services piece. So there's a lot of different things you can do with APIs with our collaboration technology of which the, the Spark service uses the the developer at CiscoSpark.com website. And Lauren had a question, can we link Spark to Twitter? Spark. Yes, you can link Spark to Twitter, and if you really want to annoy everybody in the Spark room, that's exactly what you should do. Yeah, every time you tweet, you can pop a message into the room yeah. with that. <laughs> or any time there's a mention like of your handle, it'll, it'll go into the room, and um, then it's a good way to, to clear out a room, kind of like cooking it's fish in a microwave. <laughs> It seems like there should be some sort of, like, it doesn't populate unless you have a certain hash in there or something, because yikes. 
It depends how you set it up. Oof. Because, you know, we all need notifications whenever the goat tweets. Well, that one, I well, that's We that have one. to have that. I have, listen, I have bells and whistles that go off when I hear from the goat. I don't know if Lewis has met the goat. Can't say that I have. We have a, a particular fan of Cisco Collaboration who has a uh, handle. Well, the fan is a goat. And collab goat uh, is a Twitter handle and uh, a big fan of Cisco Collaboration, often mashing our competitors. So it's all good. The goat has a very vibrant personality. Yes, and a, a nice selection of photography and videos. It's awesome. So beyond goats, um, does anybody else have any other questions that they want to ask Lewis um, about Cisco Spark or in particular the Spark service that brings in the, the telephony aspect of it to some of the smaller organizations out there in the world? Well, while we're talking about Spark service, uh, I've got a lot of smaller and mid-market customers that are looking for greenfield options for moving into something better with a co not necessarily collaboration immediately, but with a collaboration base uh, and replacing their telephony systems. And I'm wondering how much of a fit is Spark for this? Yeah, so from our, what we have, we have an offer called Spark Call, which is our cloud registered endpoints from a user base. And that really fits well within that small to medium business uh, customer base that's looking to, to move everything to a cloud managed service, uh, especially the Greenfield customers or, you know, somebody that's just looking to replace their really old telephony environment and, and doesn't want a whole lot of management that goes with it. So they can let the partner manage it or even the IT administrator can manage everything from a single pane of glass for that user base uh, and set up not only the, the Spark application to do the enterprise messaging component, but you can also assign cloud registered endpoints, the 7800, 8800 series devices to the, the users to allow them to, to use the telephony aspects of the, the Spark service that's provided via the, the platform that we provide. As I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a simple registration process you can easily do that via the self-care portal. The end user can do that via the self-care portal, or the administrator can also do that via the administration aspect. It's basically a 16-digit activation code or a QR code if you're using video to, to register those devices and provide your uh, enterprise directory number. It can be an E-164. You can map an E-164 to that, or you can just use it internally as a, a range of directory numbers. Okay, so if we are replacing, let's say, a CME or a low-end BE, what is the customer, well, we know what the customer gains. Does the customer lose anything out of the picture? Yeah, so I wasn't really looking at it as replacing Cisco gear. Uh, it's more uh, the older, you know, Nortel, Avaya stuff that's still out there. Um, but when you start looking, there's a couple different ways uh, for those users. If, if they're already using... BE infrastructure, they're already using that the, the small end capabilities. We have hybrid services so they can continue to use the, the BE platform as communications manager and provide uh, an integration via the platform, what we call Spark Hybrid Services. If they are looking to get rid of all their premise gear and they don't want to manage anything on premise anymore, then you know, that's really where you start looking at the Spark call capability uh, to provide that cloud 
differentiation and basically everything's managed from a cloud perspective and there's no gear on site to manage as part of that. As far as the differences between those two environments, there is feature differences right now. Uh, the, when you look at the cloud registered endpoints, there's, there's a few features we have. We, we look at some of the BE6K or even the communications manager deployments. There's a lot of enterprise telephony features that aren't there yet on the Spark call side, but there's a, a pretty good roadmap of what we want to provide for features on the, the cloud registered endpoints via the Spark call offer. Okay, so would you say that there's anything major that your average everyday user is missing presently, or is it all just minor stuff at this point? Uh, there's, for the most part, the average everyday user is the, the hold resume conference transfer. Uh, that probably covers the good 90% of your use cases. Uh, when you start getting into some of the, the, the multiple line uh, functionality, more of a boss admin type of features, those are some of the things that are on the roadmap, kind of the, the catch-up uh, capabilities and functionalities that aren't, aren't, are not in place today, but are very much roadmap to be able to support some of that functionality. Okay, so it's it's a potential fit. Just got to figure out whether it's a now potential fit or a later potential fit. Yeah, well, and to be honest with you, that's the beauty of the Spark application, right? Because you can get started as a, as a free user or even within your organization just using the enterprise messaging component of that and then see how that fits for the use cases that the users are trying to do. Because like I said, some of those, those pockets of users are using something, whether that's HipChat, whether that's Slack, or whether that's, you have all these various social apps that you know groups of people are looking to provide some functionality that these these new enterprise messaging applications are providing, and then you can also add in stuff down the road. There's nothing that says you have to make a decision for everything today. You can start with just this, just the messaging component, and then you can build on the meet, the call, the the, the room systems, as well as the hybrid integrations. And, and the nice thing with the hybrid integrations, if you already have infrastructure in place. The hybrid piece, once you have a messaging component of Spark or some type of M offer of Spark, you have access to hybrid at no additional charge. So it really does give you the opportunity to integrate with what you already have. Okay, and the hybrid is CME and CM? It's HCS deployments, business edition, 6K, 7K, and unified communications manager. It is not so, CME. So no CME migration, got it. That's correct. Well... With all the nice phone ringing in the background, hey! Since there aren't any more, one of the questions is whether Cisco is going to come out with a Cisco Spark certification. I don't know that there is one, uh, a formal one in the works. There actually is a Spark certification that's out there that's available for partners as well yeah. as internal Cisco folks. Uh, so if you go to cisco.com/go/sparkpartner. Uh, you do have the ability to um, see what's entailed in that, and on that page is a link to the certification test. So basically, there's right now it's six modules that does have a, a small test at the end of it, a cult test that allows you to say you're a Spark certified user. And I'm going to get in big trouble if I don't take that certification, but I'm going on PTO, so they can't chase me for at least two weeks. Cisco's arms are pretty long. They can get you. They're everywhere. You're not doing it on the beach? Oh, come on. Uh, not good so, luck finding me. Uh, a, quick tip, a quick tip for those looking for that certification on Sales Connect on your mobile device and, and uh, when you're looking on Cisco, if you just search for Spark Colt, C-O-L-T, there's a Colt exam that comes along with it, but it'll give you all the 
all the courseware or the, the, the bits and pieces that go through associated with it. But on Sales Connect, it's pretty handy. So search for Spark Colt, C-O-L-T. That'll take you in the right direction for that certification. Great. Thanks, Alex. So I need to wind this up. So I wanted to thank everybody for participating today, and especially um, Lewis for joining us and answering the questions. I don't think it was too painful. I think we had a, they weren't lightweight questions, but you were very gentle with him. So I really appreciate that, and especially thanks to Ed and Alex for helping lead the conversation and everybody else that joined into the fun along the way. So this has been Cisco Champion Radio, Season 3, Episode 21, focusing on the Cisco Spark service. And we'd like to invite you to find this on iTunes or on the Cisco blog platform, where you'll get a summary and a link to the podcast. And that's it for me. 